Beardy and the Beast Media Club. This is placeholder intro song. Thank you for joining Beardy and the Beast Media Club, a full spoiler discussion into a piece of media. We will taste of their blood to become alike. If you enjoy what we do, please share with your friends or join the conversation in the comments or at our Discord. My name is Drew, and he's not a goldfish. He's Devio. That is the darkest spoiler you've given, <laughs> especially for this film. Today we'll be discussing the 2008 Studio uh, Ghibli film Ponyo. So Devin, did this piece sink or swim? I think for the most part, I, I'm going to say it stayed buoyant. Much like you felt with Kaguya the, when we first talked about it, I think the ending really fell flat. Is it because the boat wasn't a prince that was needed to be set free to save the world? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, like, just a, a quick rundown of it is there were other conflicts and such that were set up and how it ended there was literally nothing pointing to it um in a very different way than kaguya being a moon princess was and it just kind of felt like i didn't quite see the through line um especially with stuff you see super early in the film are you talking about like the i assume that you're talking about mostly talking about the transition between going this is a like a fish princess of some sort to oh my god the moon's literally crashing into the planet yeah i didn't realize it turned into majora's mask until you know <laughs> it finished yeah <laughs> the, it, they literally point out oh yeah look how big the moon is by the way <laughs> yeah there's and i mean unless there was some like cultural thing that was missed uh it was pretty out of nowhere like buddy just like points at the moon he's like look how big the moon is if it gets any yeah. closer and i'm like what <laughs> yeah yeah that was that was the big thing um i mean especially at the beginning it's like i i noticed because i mean we, we know miyazaki these films are very environmentalist we've mm -hmm. discussed this many times before in, in the in um like nausicaa uh mononoke and like i put in notes like huh this one is like kind of really on the nose with that this time. Uh, there's really interesting seeing trash drawn in that beautiful Miyazaki style, mm -hmm. but then it didn't go anywhere. Like I thought Fujimoto, I thought that was part of Fujimoto's um, motivation was sick of the trash and such, but it wasn't ever, never actually brought up. Mm hmm. Yeah, I, I kind of had that feeling as well. I, I was wondering if they were um, going to lean into the environmentalist aspect. But then again, I was also wondering if they were about to lean into the, like, this is actually a hidden, super dark story, like mm -hmm. the Totoro effect. Yeah. Like, I, I had a moment where I'm like, is this is this about, a like, a kid who, who like, drowned? Is pulling yeah. the river and drown, drown and is having like some type of pre-death hallucination or is he mm -hmm. trying to deal with like the, the the death of his mom yeah like i had i i could probably argue a storyline like that but it's not as 
defined as the like dark Tortoro. Yeah. And so like I had inklings of that. And then I, I was on the same kind of page with you is, is it going to be an environmentalist is uh, something about the potions? Does it have some, something to do with uh, uh, the trash? Mm-hmm. Things like that. Why, why does the fish love to kiss things? <laughs> that was one thing for me. It's kind of all over the place. I think this one was far more A to Z than most Ghibli. Mm. The problem is... They forgot why when they got to Z. Oh, <laughs> well, I was going to say, like, they were missing G through L. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> That's the thing, like, base story. I actually really liked it. It's just kind of like that little bit of disaster film, bit of an adventure story um, for, for Sasuke. I'm like, I, I really enjoyed that. Thought it was mostly put together and could kind of just enjoy it as a as that type of film. Mm-hmm. Well, okay, you know what? It came off to me in the way, either one of two ways. The type of story you would tell a kid um, before bedtime. Mm-hmm. Or alternatively, the type of story a kid would make up during playtime. Mm-hmm. The way that it was portrayed to me, which kind of makes sense given the demographic I think it was pointing at. This one was definitely a bit younger than the other Ghibli stuff. Yes. Apparently it was like the first G-rated film since Kiki from Miyazaki. It was, you know what? I kind of uh, kind of want to pop back a little bit of ways here. Uh, when you said it was interesting seeing the garbage uh, shown in that kind of like the artistic Ghibli palettes and techniques. Because mm. there was a lot of textural stuff like that, even down to the intro. Yeah. Where I was kind of irked at first, the kind of coloring book, uh, like cut out paper styled um, art class intro. Yeah. But then I started, like I rapidly started to grow to like it. Mm-hmm. When I realized amongst the music and the way that the story was being portrayed, um, and as it progressed, like it was all textural to the the film. Yeah. Um, It's interesting because like my immediate thought was like, huh, that's a very different style. Mm -hmm. But like almost immediate, I'm like, this is Fantasia. Yeah. (laughs) Like that opening, it just screamed Fantasia. I'm like, oh, this is a Fantasia set piece that he's using the intro. So... It's all right that it's got a slightly different art style. Mm. Right. right. Um, apparently he did that entire, the opening, he did it himself. Um, and he was very specifically trying to make it more expressionistic. Mm. So, and I, I think it did that very well. Yeah, my only dissatisfaction with it was my own problem. Mm, yeah, uh, I, I came to expect a certain type of thing from Ghibli. So when I was introduced to something unexpected, I, I was taken aback. But again, I rapidly grew to appreciate it, I guess would be mm-hmm. the best way to say. Yeah. And it, it called back a bit as well. So it wasn't like just lost in the intro because um, the, the goddess's design it kind of kept a bit more of that expressionistic look, mm-hmm. even though it was a bit more, a bit more Ghibli, but I'm um, just like in the weird dress and such was it, it felt like it fit with the intro a bit. Well, you know, it's, um, I think the reason why they did that 
princess form was to show how connected to the sea the princess was or queen uh something of the queen sorry so um she had a very blocky body not not something that you'd expect even in a ghibli film for Mm -hmm. um, like uh the female form yeah like it was it wasn't thin or curvy and i'm I'm not saying this as if it was a requirement, saying it is how it's usually portrayed in Ghibli films. Yeah. Except, of course, the warrior princess um, from Nazca, who was wearing chunky armor the entire time. Uh, So she had a blocky, more flowing, like, gown sort of thing going. And I didn't realize until right at the very end, it was more reminiscent of the form of Ponyo as a goldfish. Mm Mm-hmm just blue and bigger yeah and like more fish womanly i guess you could say but they they were still able to in the same way they were able to show the the cute expressions of human face goldfish they were able to show off like a beautiful majestic i guess adult version of this type of like sea goddess yeah yeah they they definitely did that very well uh Again, like as you said, like the expressions on this human-faced goldfish, uh, just amazing. Like even before Ponyo became a full like speaking character, I'm like, nope, I can see exactly how this character is gonna be, and just get that that playfulness. They did very well without having to say a word, and yeah, almost immediately fell in love with the characterization of of Ponyo. Mm-hmm. You know, what? I just now through my kind of like rambling about like the sea goddess and I see Princess Ponyo, I guess you'll call her. I've now just become satisfied with her like intermediate form mm. with her like weird hands and feet. So she was kind of like that weird goldfish thing. Yeah. On one end of the spectrum and on the other end, uh, she was a little girl. And you're like, what's up with that middle end? Yeah. It's closer to a de- depiction of a frog. Mm. So her limbs were a lot like some of those cute frogs with like their weird like free prongs, yeah, grabbies, free like frogs, yeah. and like she had the big kind of wide mouth, kind of something you'd expect a cartoon depiction in an anime for a frog. So like mm. it was a weird jump, but from a transition of sea creature to sea slash land to uh, land, it made sense. Yeah, no, that clarifies that because that was the that was definitely one spot's kind of like uh i'm not quite sure what you're going for yeah um, like I, you I, knew it was a transitional thing but you're like i don't get the animation but like yeah it just now made sense to me yeah 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 it makes sense other characterization like i liked sasuke he was a five-year-old who was a five-year-old you know a five-year-old and more com- more competent than some sharons we've seen um, <laughs> Um, was it? Yeah, no, common... like a five-year-old's drive, though, and motivation. Yeah. Like every, yeah. like even down to the like, no, I'm gonna love her even if she is a fish. Mm-hmm. And then like, adults don't do that except in fairy tales. Yeah, yeah, he just had that drive that you know, obviously cares very much for his parents. You know, doing little things like learning how to, learning the Morse code. Not understanding that his mother was spelling out idiot, too. <laughs> <laughs> and you get, and um, that, um, that rural mm. five-year-old as well. So industrious, knows how to do things. 
enough to be able to do some things. Well, like even and well, the kind of adventurous spirit, right? Yeah. So the the whole like you know he just grabs his thing and then goes out and plays. I mean, it's not a far walk, but walks from uh, uh, his mom's work to the uh, school. Yeah. Is this yeah. a Actually, I need I need a clarification. All right. Uh, Sosuke kept calling Lisa Lisa. Yeah, I could not figure that out. As okay. far as I can tell, that's actually his mom. Yeah, yeah. This yeah. story, like, even like, said, like, that's that's my mom and that's my dad. Yeah. I I don't um, know why he kept calling her Lisa. Yeah, I and did the same thing with his dad. Was his dad Kochi? Yeah. Yeah, and he said like thing. Kochi is my dad, and. I could have, I could have swore in Japan they had, you know, it was common to yeah. refer to your parents by like, like a, a yeah, Asan, yeah, yeah. That was, I wasn't quite sure about that, especially because I know, um, because I'm pretty sure Ponyo referred to Fujimoto and the goddess as mom and dad, mm. and not by the name. So, so it wasn't I, like a, a common lo- line between everyone. Yeah, but I mean that's also the only two examples we have. I wouldn't mind. Say. Yeah, I wouldn't mind clarification on this because it also could be a regional thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes, like I mean I doubt it, but like I I don't see a group of parents. I mean, like I just I you know what I might just be culturally culturally dumb in this aspect, so I'm not going to focus on it too much. What I'm really concerned about is he wasn't using Lisa's full title, which would have been Drift Queen Lisa. Oh man, Lisa! I loved everything about Lisa. The uh, yeah, there there was there was actually a part when she was uh, driving where uh, sick. I I got uh, was it the Deja Vu song from Initial D in my head? Uh, yeah, I could see that. I <laughs> know oh, it was it was really fun. I I really enjoyed uh, Lisa as a character, especially because. Actually, it's one of the things that was quite strong in this is that um, any of the r- relatively prime characters, so I would say primary, secondary, and then like some of the tertiary characters all had personalities and seemed to have their own motivations. Yeah. So it's obvious that like Lisa definitely had a mind of her own and motivations of her own. Yes. So some of the strong points that I want to point out that just absolutely made me made me fall in love with Lisa. I mean, the Drift Queen. <laughs> like <laughs> I thought that was I thought that was great. Um, you know, the speeding up so she doesn't get stuck at the the boat loading into the dry dock. I'm like, okay, yeah, nope, she's she's got places to be. And then like during the seeing how quick she was to realize that Sasuke was in trouble mm-hmm. as he was going out to the ocean, like that was the thing that actually stopped me from going into how is this one dark? Yeah. It's just how quick she was there. Cause I honestly thought like, I mean, again, it's not beyond Ghibli to do something like that. And all of a sudden he's in Ponyo's worlds. Yeah. Yeah. Where you can now have these questions. Um, like a, like a boy in the beast kind of situation. Yeah, exactly. Um, and then when she's, she's going back home, like, I mean, I think it was, not necessarily the best decision to go back home during the tsunami, mm. but doing it like just waiting for that recession that happens in a tsunami and just 
gunning it, knowing how much trouble she's in, just trying to get her, get Sasuke to buckle up because, oh God, this is crazy. And immediately stopping when he said he thought he saw someone to try to help. I'm just like, that's amazing. So it didn't surprise me at all that when she saw a flashing light on the hill, she's like, no, I've got to go and try to help this person because it was so well established that that's the type of thing she would do. Exactly. Well, I mean, like she even had a job helping people. Yeah. The thing is, I don't, I don't think it was actually a tsunami. It was a um, typhoon. It was pr- prophesized as a tsunami, um, but the weather indicated it was a typhoon. I agree, but they refer to it as tsunami throughout the film. Okay. Regardless. I, I completely agree with you, but... I mean, I, the amount of flooding that occurred wasn't realistic either. Yeah. But... So, I can say this, because I was like, what's with all this flooding? I was like, oh, it makes sense. The moon is three feet from the ocean. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> maybe maybe that's why the whole moon thing was put in. Maybe. It's like, oh, we, do, uh, we, we need an actual logical reason as to why the, <laughs> the water is gone up like 40 meters. Yeah. <laughs> on an island. Oh, the moon is three feet away. I honestly would have gone, like, did, was the island sinking? <laughs> that, that would have made more sense to me. Yeah. Um, yeah, I was, I was wondering about, I, I think where it falls short is, uh, was it Fujimoto? Mm-hmm. Crazy wizard? Yes. Yeah, because I, I was... I walked the line of not everything needs to be shown or explained, and sometimes there's just things you've got to st- straight up say. And yeah. um, because the storyline gets abstract in the middle, or I guess at the end of the second third, mm-hmm. um, a lot of that was just failings and like explanations in... Fujimoto. Yes. They kind of touched base on it when he was talking about the well, and I think that's kind of what it was supposed to be. So unless this is based off of a fairy tale, like a Japanese fairy tale that kind of explains this, um, hence a cultural, uh, like a missing cultural piece for me, I think a lot of the feeling comes from him, because it's like parts of his character don't even apply to the film. Hmm. He even says like the humans are dirty and all this and like you shouldn't you shouldn't talk to them and all they do is pollute or something but again the pollution's only like 20 seconds of the film and doesn't apply yeah, that, to the story at all yeah again yeah, that's why it was that's i think another reason why the ending was so shocking to me it's like you, you're clearly setting this up i mean you have the visuals you have these couple of lines there right they're they're in a harbor where we can clearly see the industriousness there like why wasn't that part of it like i honestly thought that's what he was doing with the magic potions something you know something a la fern gully to well i mean he did he did have his like massive plan to fill up the well and then unleash it to get rid of humans or whatever yeah he, he did have a rant like that you know i would have liked to see all those ships that were stranded to be on a mound of trash mm. to at least tie it in together. I was thinking that same thing. Um, I, I was thinking something similar. Like, oh, it's a mountain. Like, it's a town. It's like, oh, no, it's all the ships. Okay, okay. Are we going to see our turtles with snorkels? <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> so, yeah, it's just he, he didn't seem like a father, father figure to me. 
like none of his motivations seem to really apply to Ponyo as like a uh, like a paternal figure. I mean, he seemed dedicated to the sea goddess, but only so much of like I care about this ethereal being and. Oh no, Ponyo, like almost like a kid telling on another kid. Ponyo's out there doing this thing. And the, the, like the only adult in the ocean is apparently the sea goddess. <laughs> yeah. Like I'm not expecting, uh, I'm not expecting him to be like a good father figure, but I thought it was show some type of paternal instinct would be nice. Yeah. She believes generally a bit better. Yeah. With that, just speaking about, about Fudimoto's character, um, especially the uh, the boats that you're that we just mentioned, mm. um, oh, that the one that turns a... into a prince and cleans up the sea using his prince magic. Yes, therefore <laughs> saving both the sea and humans. What are you going to talk about when we actually watch Howls? <laughs> just out of curiosity. <laughs> well, maybe I'll like it. It's been like a decade since I've seen it. So, and to be fair. There was a river dragon that was a prince. That was a thing, too. It's not just howls. Yeah. That was very much an environmental message again. Yeah, but the, I mean, the river dragon actually made more sense in yeah, context exactly. of the film. It wasn't just a, yeah. a scarecrow. Yeah. But uh, I, <laughs> anyway, <laughs> the point that I was going on. So I agree. Fujimoto wasn't really there for, for his school of children. Mm. And it's like, oh, okay, I can get that kind of fish. There's like, there's plenty of them. Um, he cared enough to take them out while he was working one day, and then you know, Ponyo ran away, or floated away. So, so I was looking at the motivations. Like, okay, he's clearly devoted to um, to the sea goddess. Mm-hmm. Like, okay, cool, get that. That's what his motivation is here. That's what he's doing. All of these, whatever concoction that he's making is. All for the sea goddess. He's obviously had children with the sea goddess. Well, well um, the, I mean, he is like horrible sea racist. Yes. He doesn't like the crustaceans or crustaceans. Can't trust him. <laughs> <laughs> you walk all sideways. <laughs> and like, okay. So that that's his motivation, sea goddess. So when I saw the sea goddess and, and um, Koichi's ship, you know, dead in the water. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm going like oh that's not cool, but then she like revives the ship and I'm like okay so clearly she doesn't have these same issues that Fujimoto does. I think the ship stopped in her presence because the engine cut out, and then when she left, when she passed by and was gone, the engine started again. I think that's what they were illustrating. I'm not okay. sure how that applies to the film, but I, I'm mm. pretty certain on that. Okay, yeah, because. My interpretation was, oh no, just everything's, everything's, everything's messed up. I'm trying to say this without swearing. And <laughs> swears in my head that I had to keep stopping. For... <laughs> um, yeah, me so too. I... When I stop talking randomly, it's because I'm self-censoring my curse words. <laughs> That's yes. why I do it. Yes. You've done that since I've known you. <laughs> <laughs> um, so... Yeah, I just read that as they were stranded because, like, all of the lights on the other ships were out, too, and then kind of came back on. So I thought she was actually saving them. Mm. At least through that question in my head, it's going, okay, clearly the motivations are different here. I 
what what do you so i like your interpretation of it no just stopping in her presence mm -hmm. at, at least that at least removes that aspect of my questions it doesn't illustrate anything for the film yeah, yeah. it was something that was unneeded yeah whereas if she was saving the ship i would argue that that would have worked better for the film in isolation mm. because because it's more she's the goddess of the sea these people live by the live at sea there was no question who it was they're all like she's come to save us type thing you know because it wasn't her plan and the cataclysmic events that were occurring was because it was essentially like the half-hearted version of what fujimoto was planning so it's it kind of got yeah. out of control or whatever. And it was weird that he wasn't concerned about that part. Mm. Uh, but I'm wondering how much more swift it would have been if the well was at full power when the power was released. Yeah. And this was definitely a plan that was his own. And I don't think involved the sea goddess at all. In fact, the sea, the sea goddess made it all right. Yes. And I think I, I this is again where those threads kind of fall apart. I think it was hinted at that the reason his plan didn't go through properly was because Ponyo left and was using her magic to try to become human. If that's the case, I missed it completely. I think there's something about that, and that's why she had to give up her magic if she was going to stay on land, and that's why the moon went back to play back into place. Like that's what I'm saying. It's just kind of that that ending fell apart a little bit because. That's kind of what I gathered there, and that's why it saved the planet. I mean, otherwise she would have turned to seafoam. You know what? Per personally, I this this would enhance the film for me, but it wouldn't make the sense, make the uh, film make any more sense. But I would have liked a conversation like post credits with Fujimoto and the Sea Goddess, and uh, something like Fujimoto. It's like. They'll they'll never know that he made the right choice because if he didn't make that choice, then it then, you know, the devastation would have continued. Mm. <laughs> you know, something very, like, just a little dark twinge at the end. Yeah. Yeah, something like that, at least tying it up a little bit, I think would be... <laughs> would be nice. Um, I mean, Ghibli films do this a lot. They'll either take from something and leave out some of the context, leaving it to the original story, or they'll just throw random things in, like the Scarecrow. Yeah. Uh, in Howl's. Oh, the prince is missing. Oh, it turns out he was the scarecrow the whole time. <laughs> Spoiler alert. The, the movie's been out for like 20 years. Um, and hasn't been mentioned at all ever <laughs> in any of our other Ghibli films. <laughs> the, uh, Your spoiler for Howl's better not be. <laughs> he was a scarecrow <laughs> the entire time. <laughs> oh, I don't know what I was going on about. Oh yeah, generally it's probably it's probably the major reason why I have a problem with Ghibli films is they leave like weird things vague. Mm. And at least they don't over explain things that don't need to be explained. Yeah. If they did that as well, I would have never wanted to like cover Ghibli stuff. Yeah. Like I can get past the vague stuff. I can I can do headcanon, I can do hypotheticals, I can do research after and uh like uh read read the short story that something was based off of and things like that that's easy yeah but when you make me sit there through over explanation of something i just 
I lose focus. You know, I don't yeah. want to watch this. It, and I think, like, as we've watched, with the Ghibli films we've watched so far, you know, other than Earwig, <laughs> um, um, uh, the lack of explanation has generally sparked good conversation around yeah. it. Right? So it, it's not even headcanon. It's like, no, it's, I think part of it is to make you speculate. Uh, this is the first one that we've watched so far where I'm like, I... I can't make anything work. <laughs> well, it's, it's kind of one of the reasons why Totoro is probably one of the strongest Ghibli films um, when it comes to the, the things that are a little bit more abstract. Mm-hmm. Like, obviously, Kaguya, Nausicaa, Mononoke are all very direct stories. Yes. But the ones that become a little bit more fairy tale or fantastical. Um, is where we enter this vagueness, and Totoro is probably the most concrete one. It also happens to be the darkest one. Um, and it's actually, Totoro is kind of like affected the way that I watch other Ghibli films, and that's why I kept looking for a dark aspect to Ponyo. Mm. Fair enough. <laughs> well, let me again, a lot of Miyazaki isn't afraid to, like, he, he's not afraid to show the real world but he tries to show it from child's eyes in mm-hmm. horror films. And something that we're seeing a lot with the, the Chizu films as well, which is just amazing to see. Um, so it's not pulling punches. Mm-hmm. Right. And like my thought was, because again, I was expecting that, that bit of not pulling punches. I'm like, is Lisa actually dead? Did she make it? Um, like that, that's, I guess that's the only place I could put in speculation. Like the ending was not, not that that they're all gone there, all dead then, because it was just Lisa and the old women, all underwater, all underwater. (laughs) (laughs) There we go. There's that bit of darkness that I can throw in. Um, uh, But the lead up around Sasuke and Ponyo wasn't well for Ponyo. It was like I'm like, oh, she's gonna die. Like, like no, I thought just... that, but I don't think it was there for Sasuke, or not quite enough pointing to it, like, especially when you were mentioning Totoro or Spirited Away, where there's definitely things that made me go, like, yeah, you live in? Yeah, yeah. Maybe. <laughs> um, well, I mean, those, I mean, I wasn't too worried. Once I was able to get over, like, the whole darkness twinge, Yeah, I was able to enjoy the film a little bit more realizing that it was definitely more lighthearted. Yeah. Um, and again, it does fall apart, just to kind of conclude from before, it does kind of fall apart with some of, like, Fujimoto's interactions. Mm-hmm. If he was more straightforward and less vague, or at least had a little bit more exposition as to what his motivations were, mm-hmm. aside from, like, just being an amazing sea racist, um, <laughs> he, uh, <laughs> I think the movie would have just been whole lot more concrete yeah i i agree i really think that that's the smallest change to make to this film it's just a little bit more characterization and motivation around fujimoto because i think that could have tied even the ending just knowing mm-hmm. that hey, right could have all been tied there and i don't think it would have needed much just something a little bit more than i used to be human yeah i'm like you're clearly still human <laughs> <laughs> oh no, but he needs seawater to keep his skin moist. 
<laughs> oh, that was another great interaction with Lisa. Now that I'm thinking about it, it's like, that better not be weed killer. It's like, no, it's just salt water. I'm like, <laughs> as long as it's not weed. Well, that does paint her as being a bit environmentalist. Mm. Yeah. You know, not wanting weed killer on her property or whatever. Yeah. Especially when they live so close to the sea. It's like um where I live, the the plumber straight up says don't use the chemical like drain cleaners and things because it just gets pumped right into the sea. Yeah. Oh for sure. It was just Yeah, and I, I definitely get it. Like the again, it was weird that this was the most direct environmentalist one that I've seen. And we've watched like the two that are a hundred percent all environmentalism. Yeah. Uh and this one was so direct, but yeah, it just didn't go anywhere. I'm like, why? <laughs> well, the thing um, is, they could have tied it all together with Fujimoto and environmentalism as mm. being his character. Yes. Uh, and that's where I thought they were going. There was foundation there. Yeah. Um, they could have pulled it together with magic and cleaning the sea or the sea goddess and being unhappy that it was polluted or something like that. But those are just the different lines that it could have gone through. But the most direct and easiest one would be to characterize Fujimoto as just a hardcore, like um, ocean dwelling environmentalist. And like, I don't get why he's got a thing against the crabs. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, I get why he's got something against the, the humans. Yeah, I get that. Again, that message was there. I think there was just the crabs were just. I I don't know if he necessarily had something against the crabs, but I think it was like, no, not the elixir. They can't have it because now all of a sudden you got magic crabs, <laughs> and that is something that doctors can't necessarily help you with. <laughs> That's good. Um, one thing that I did like to do, uh, like to point out with the characters is. There was definitely like an elegant and benevolence to the sea goddess and she didn't have to say like anything. Yeah. It was like all feel and projection. Mm -hmm. So she just, you know, said something though grounded in magic um, was reasonable regarding Ponyo. It's like, Oh, this can be like, this can be resolved via the old magic. Yeah. Like, but everything else, I don't even think she says much other than that. I don't think so. I think but it's pretty much all she said. <laughs> but like, you you definitely get this feeling about her, even like when the old ladies were saying, it's like, oh, uh, uh, Lisa's talking to the sea goddess over there. Yeah. And you look over and she's got like this uh, jellyfish umbrella and like looking magnificent and just towering over Lisa. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's again, it's, it's that Ghibli strength and animation. Mm-hmm. Like it, you didn't need anything. Like I, again, with the opening of the film, with how like in the, the Fantasia vibes I got, um, using that as another example, um, with, um, just Ponyo's characterization without saying a word. I honestly, could have thought it's like, oh, this could be more like Wally and just nothing being said and just all being expressionistic. And mm-hmm. I think they probably could have done done something like that. But again, that's the strength of Ghibli animation. It's just so expressive 
you know what's happening. Mm -hmm. You know what these characters are without saying a word. Um, the only other real example that jumps to my mind for that is Wally, right? So Ghibli they... uh, take on Wally when? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So um, I know I'm going to go back to something we talked about a little bit earlier where we're going is like, was this based on anything? Because I was wondering the same thing. It's always something that plays in my mind when it comes to the Shipley films because yeah. they do get their influences everywhere. So um, one thing I noted was similarities between the little mermaid. Okay. Just and it was, it was casual things that were there. Um, just before we were recording here, I, I, I did pull it up and it's like, that was part of um, Miyazaki's inspiration for this. And you mentioned the idea of, um, an aspect kind of getting lost in translation mm -hmm. Wait, when they, when they, well, so inspired by little mermaid, it, it, it's clear enough there, you know, Ponyo, the mermaid falls in love with, with a human and wants to be part of their world and, and all that. Wants legs. Yeah. And, and I, I almost wonder if that's why the ending was so felt so out of place. Hmm. Because the ending to The Little Mermaid feels out of place. Right? All of well, a sudden, I mean, that like, was a tonal shift. It was a tonal shift. Um, Ariel's not really involved in it at all. Mm. Um, though I actually watched a video recently that actually made it make complete sense to me and doesn't feel so tonally out of place anymore. I mean, um, <laughs> in, in this case, unlike The Little Mermaid, Drew wasn't sitting in the theater refusing to leave after the movie ended. I get that. <laughs> I think I was there, too. <laughs> I think I think that was a part, you know, a little personal story from when I was, like, knee-high or whatever. So one of the things, like, because I was, like, the ending didn't quite fit the rest of the, the film outside of the tonal shift. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I was watching a video the other day that actually explained it to me and all of a sudden it made sense. So the little mermaid, Ariel is not the protagonist of the little mermaid. Okay. And is it the crab? It's not the crab. Ariel. And it's, it's following the character arcs. Mm. So Ariel doesn't change. She knows what she wants. She would have wanted to be human regardless of, of Prince Eric. Mm. Like she was enamored with their world well before she met the prince. True. Right, that the, the prince might have been her final thing, but she would have done that anyway. Yeah, given the chance, she doesn't change throughout the entire film. Her losing her voice doesn't matter to her. Being part of the world, it does. Um, and so, the character that actually changes in the Little Mermaid is her father. Oh, the whole story is actually about her father, and you see that in the climax of the Little Mermaid. It's actually about Triton versus Ursula nothing to do with Ariel. She was just a pawn. So to tie this back into this, I almost wonder if, it, you know, Miyazaki is watching, just seeing that there's that bit of a jump and just something devastating happening at the end and not needing to be tied to the other characters for it. But it didn't have that through line of like a Triton that was there, which again would also go to give Fujimoto a little bit more. Well, I mean, if, yeah, and if we've got that protagonist again. Like, if he had a proper character arc, then he would have came off like Triton. Mm -hmm. 
he would have been the one who changed in the end. Yeah. And that that's something to tie it together. Mm-hmm. Right? Make that ending fit a little bit more. Just just by having it. So yeah, that's that's really the change that needed to happen. Originally I was playing with making Sasuke a little bit older, but I'm like, nah, this is rural. I, I, I could see the mother just leaving him there. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, he's a competent kid. It's a yeah. safe house. Um, yeah. They have food. Yeah. They like the generators working. Yeah. It was one of those things that entered my mind for like a second and just immediately went out. Um, yeah, I think. Given all that, it's, it's kind of one of those things that felt like it needed more story, but the length was proper. Mm-hmm. Um, and it left a little bit of dissatis- dissatisfaction just because the story doesn't really make sense. And I'm usually pretty forgiving. Um, yeah. with a lot of those sort of things. So I think overall, in this case, probably had two of seven crabs get into the magic well. I think I agree with you. It's not as weak as other Ghibli films we've watched. That's uh, some that we haven't. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it's it's definitely not their best outing. Mm-hmm. Um, I think... Overall, like I was engaged with the story as presented. It was again just those couple of threads set up that didn't follow through, kind of ruined the ending. And lord, it I I liked I liked the chain the experimentation with the animation. I liked the, again the characters. Just I fell in love with them all. Yeah, Drift Queen uh, Lisa, she's or big. I guess so in the future. When there's a drift-related tragedy, Lisa's going to come by and she's going to be the drift goddess. Yes. Calling it <laughs> deja vu. Yeah. Um, I wrote she really needs a Jeep instead of that small, like, Austin Mini-type vehicle. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, like, this was... It's one of those things, like, it shows why, again, overall, um, Miyazaki is a master at his craft, even with these story, story beat issues. Well, it's, it's, if this was done by a different studio, uh, like I think Chizu could pull it off, but mm-hmm. I, um, uh, other, other studios and um, like, especially American studios, if they did this same storyline, they, they would have got a much lower score for me. Oh yeah. Because I don't think the voice acting would have been as good. I don't think the animation would have been as good, and I don't think the pacing would have been as good. I agree. You you just can't beat that that Miyazaki charm, that, that Ghibli charm. It there's something there. It it works, and even the worst of the films have a lot of positive to say. Do they though? Do they? The animation was still beautiful in that film. (laughs) And this has been Beardy and the Beast Media Club. Join us next time as we begin our Spooktober celebrations by discussing films that critique, criticize, or point fingers at horror tropes. We'll be starting off with Scream with guest Jamie of Band Aaron. As always, if you like what we do, 
like and subscribe, or join the conversation in the comments or at our Discord. A list of the available services we're on is available at beardyandthebeast.com. Later.